Take your Bibles this morning if you have them and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and I want to cover a text this morning that, uh, that may be quite, kind of strange, uh, Christmas season, but it's something that is extremely important, that is the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, if you read Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses, there's a lot of baguettes. In fact, John Michael asked me earlier today, what are you preaching on, Daddy? I said, I'm preaching on the genealogy of Jesus. He said, that's all those baguettes. I said, yeah, but when I read it, I'm going to let you come up here and read all those names and make sure you pronounce them all uh, correctly. But we're not going to do that. But why is the genealogy so important? Why is it something that we're going to take this morning, walking through this Christmas season, uh, and, and to try to interpret the reason why the genealogy is there? The genealogy is more than just a bunch of names that we may have trouble pronouncing. There's so much more to that. Many of you probably uh, have worked on your genealogy. Maybe you can trace it back several generations and several years and you kind of know where, where your family comes from and maybe even trace it back to where the, your family came before, uh, before the United States, from Europe, wherever they may have come from. Um, I, I can't go that far. I can go back four generations, my dad and my grandfather and then my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather passed away when I was 10 years old. And the bowler name comes from Neshoba County. That's as far as, as, as I know uh, where, where my generation comes from. Uh, genealogy has not been really anything um, uh, just on my radar screen. And I, I, I wish I knew more uh, about my genealogy. But that's kind of where, where that generation comes from. My, my mom's generation, my mom's mother who is still alive. My grandmother's from New Albany, but her mother's from Pennsylvania. Uh, so we have a little bit of northern uh, roots in us, and um, I got rid of those as quickly as I could. So, but just teasing, just just teasing. Somebody said, if you shake your family tree, watch, and all the nuts will fall out. Maybe that's what you're. Maybe that's describing your family tree. I don't know, uh, but genealogies are special. Uh, you can trace all of your family. They are special. And maybe you've gone online and done some of the things uh, with your ancestry and your genealogy. But it's even more special when you look at the life of Jesus. And why this is important during this Christmas season. The genealogy points to a couple of different things that I want us to see this morning. It starts off in verse number 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of God, son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2 begins with the familiar name Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah. Then it gets to several unfamiliar names. Every once in a while a name we recognize. We come all the way down to verse 16. The scripture says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. This genealogy is very, very familiar to the Old Testament passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 3. In fact, the first seven chapters of 1 Chronicles is nothing but a genealogy of Jewish history. 
this uh, Matthew's account is not verbatim. In fact, you can look at this account right beside First, Cor- First Chronicles chapter 3, and there's a lot more names mentioned in First Chronicles 3 than Matthew chapter 1. That's not an oversight on Matthew. That's not a contradiction in the Bible. Matthew, through the Holy Spirit, put the names here that the Jewish people needed to know. That's why some of the names are there. Most of them are there, but some of them are left out. So I want to walk through this morning and show you a couple of things that that I believe you will, uh, as a believer, will understand when it comes to the genealogy. The first thing the genealogy teaches is that it's the verification of the royalty of Jesus Christ. This whole section 17 verses is nothing more than the grace of God in print in fact the title of the message is our gracious king as you walk through and see the grace of our Lord but the genealogy teaches number one the verification of the royalty of Jesus Jesus is king yes he is you know that and I know that but how can you prove that How can you prove that Jesus Christ is king to a Jew today who does not believe that Jesus Christ is king? How can you prove that Jesus Christ is king to someone who does not believe in God and will not understand the the interpretation of the New Testament? How can you prove that? Verse 1 proves that. The Bible says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of of Abraham. Now, I thought Abraham lived before David. And you're right. But Matthew is proving something more important than being the son of Abraham. It's to be the son of David. Matthew points out, number one, that Jesus is king before he's the father of the Jewish nation. He is both of them. But he wants to point out that Jesus Christ, he is the son of David. Every other time in this genealogy, it's the other way around. Abraham is listed before David, specifically in verse 17. But verse 1, he says, son of David first, then the son of Abraham. 2 Samuel chapter 7, listen to this, these passages. 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 and following says this, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever according to all these words, according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. The Lord, through Nathan, spoke to David in 2 Samuel and said, Through your lineage will your throne be established forever. The Messiah, the King, will come through the throne of David. Matthew says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, He is the Son of David. He is the King. But is there another genealogy in the New Testament? Somebody asked me one time several years ago, and I've only been asked this a few times, and it was they were discounting the Word of God, and they said, Pastor Matthew has one genealogy, but Luke chapter 3 has another genealogy, and they're totally different. So the Bible contradicts itself. And I said, no, you're only half right. I said, yes, they are different. 
But the Bible does not contradict itself. In Matthew's account, it starts with Abraham and in a descending order goes all the way through Jesus. It is the account of Joseph. It's the account of the Jewish heritage of Jesus Christ. It is the point to, that point, it is to point that Jesus is the king. If you read Luke's account in Luke chapter 3, it is in uh, ascending order, starting with Jesus and going all the way up, all the way back to the life of Adam. It is to prove that Jesus Christ is not just the King, but He's the Son of Man, the Savior of all the world. Matthew's account goes through the lineage of Joseph, and Luke's account goes through the lineage of Mary to prove that both Joseph and Mary are both from the lineage uh, of, of David. So that's how the two accounts come, uh, come together. Matthew's intent is to validate Jesus' royal claim by showing his legal descent from David through Joseph, who was Jesus' legal, though not his natural, father. Let me read you Isaiah chapter 9. This is a familiar text during uh, the Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6, uh, 6 and 7. I had it marked, but I lost it. Here it is. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Says this, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it within judgment and justice from the time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. He is the Son of. David. But the second part of the scripture says he's also son of Abraham. But not only does it make him king, but it makes him a Jewish king. It makes him king of the world, but it also makes him the Messiah. The Bible says in the Old Testament in Genesis that through Abraham's offspring will come the Messiah. He's the son of Abraham. Genesis 12 verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 17, verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Genesis 22 and 18, through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then Galatians, the New Testament, Galatians 3, 16, now to Abraham and his seed... Were the promises made? He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed who is Christ. Something that's very interesting when you go and you read New Testament history that the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. And every genealogical record from a Jewish historian was placed in the temple. And all of that was burned up. And all of that was destroyed. And if a Jewish person says today that here is the Messiah, here he is, he would have to be able to trace his genealogy all the way back to David and the kingship of David. He can't do that because his genealogy only goes from 70 until today. The only person who can do that is Jesus Christ. And that's by the Word of God. 
that his genealogy, his, his, his messiahship can be traced all the way back to being the son of David and being the son of Abraham. So the genealogy teaches the verification of the royalty of Jesus. But number two is this, and this is important. I believe this is the, one of the most major doctrines of the Christian life today. If you don't believe this, then nothing else matters when it comes to being a Christian. Is that the genealogy teaches the verification of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. If a believer today does not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, then they do not have a Savior. They have no forgiveness of sins. They have no sacrifice for their sins. They have no heaven waiting for for them. They have no eternity to look forward to in heaven because they do not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew quotes that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So let's go back to the genealogy. Look down, if you will, in verse 11 and 12. And I want you to see this. These two verses teach that Jesus Christ, the verification of the virgin birth of Jesus. Verse 11 says this, Josiah begot Jeconiah. Now, that's how you know that there is a name left out. In fact, Josiah's son was a king named Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim's son is that Jeconiah, which you see right there in verse 11. And his brothers, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah, the son of Shetil, Shetil begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel may, may be a familiar name, coming back after the Babylon captivity during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. But let's go back to verse 11. Here's a name. In fact, you may want to underline in your Bible. I've got it underlined in mind. In mind. Every time I read this genealogy, that's one name I want to see. Jeconiah. In fact, in the New Old Testament, his name comes up again in Jeremiah chapter 22. You may have a study Bible out in your margin. This may be there. If not, write down Jeremiah 22 verse 24 and also verse 30. Listen to what these verses say. Jeremiah 22 Verse 24 says this, As I live, says the Lord, through Kaniah, which is the same one. It just leaves off the J-E. I'll tell you why in just a second. The son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with a signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. And then verse 28 and following, Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol? A vessel in which is no pleasure. Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into the land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Listen to this. Write this man down as childless. A man who shall not appear, shall not prosper in his days. For none of his descendants shall prosper. 
sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Jeconiah's sin was incest. And because of that, God says, through your lineage, through your descendants, shall nobody sit on the throne of David. If Joseph was the natural father of Jesus, then the Bible would be, there would be a false verse, there would be a lie, there would be a contradiction. But verse 11 of Matthew 1 teaches the virgin birth of Jesus, that although Joseph was the husband of Mary, Joseph was not the father of Jesus, Joseph was the husband of Mary, Jesus was virgin born. He was virgin born. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Because verse 11 says, Joseph, Josiah begot Jeconiah. And because of that, no son will sit on your throne. His son all the way down is Joseph. And if Jesus came through the line of Joseph through earthly means, he could not be the Savior of the world. He is the Savior because he was virgin born. Joseph is in the line, but Joseph is not the natural father of of Jesus. Joseph gave Jesus the title, the legal title, to the throne of David because Joseph was the husband of Mary who bore Jesus. Both Joseph and Mary are from the line line of David. That's why they had to go to Bethlehem to register for the tax, both of them, the days before Jesus was to be born. I told you this is a major doctrine in Christian life. It's one of the most um, uh, 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 debated doctrine in Christian circles today is that Jesus Christ was not virgin born. The Bible has never changed and it's not going to change today. No matter of popular opinion, Jesus Christ came from heaven. Unto us a child is what? Born. Humanity. Unto us a son is given. Deity. He is the God-man. So what does the virgin birth teach us? It teaches us, number one, that Jesus Christ is God. John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. Jesus Christ is God. Oswald Chambers says this, Jesus was born into this world, not born from this world. He is in no way a product of the natural earth or the union of a human father and a human mother. The virgin birth also teaches that Jesus Christ is not a sinner. If Jesus Christ came from Mary and Joseph, who were both sinners, then Jesus would have been born a sinner as well. If Jesus had entered the world through natural human reproduction, He would not have simply been one more child of this fallen world. You remember the angel Gabriel told Mary that Jesus would be holy at His birth and would be called the Son of God. The virgin birth teaches that God can do anything. You remember Mary when she heard the word? With God all things are possible. It is impossible with man. Among humans we know a virgin birth is impossible. Though with God all things are possible. The angel told Mary that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you in Luke's gospel. That word is a great cloud enveloping someone. The people of Israel had always used that metaphor to understand God's mysterious and undeniable presence. But number four, because he was virgin born... He was born to die. 
Nothing in this world did Jesus need except to give His life for all of humankind. To give His life as a sacrifice for all the sins of the world, all the corruption, all the rebellion, all the failure that characterized our human world. Jesus Christ was born from a mother that He would one day die for. Among all of us as well. God is a spirit. And a spirit cannot die. Therefore, God had to become a man. He retained His purity, retained His perfection. Yet He came to die for us. This is only possible through the virgin birth of Jesus. And two little video names, Josiah and Jeconiah, and you can even add Joseph, proves that Jesus Christ is, was, virgin born. But number three is this, the last thing is that the genealogy teaches the verification that all people can be saved. All people can be saved. Out of all the names that are listed in this text, there are many who are not mentioned. But I want to make note of several who are mentioned. Many times when you have a Jewish genealogy, there's two types of people that's going to be mentioned. They're going to be men, and they're going to be Jews. Yet when Jesus gives His genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, you have several different kinds. You have Jews. You have Gentiles. You have women listed even in a genealogy today. In Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. I want to underline that word Tamar there. Tamar is an interesting character. You can go back to Genesis chapter 38 and read the story of Tamar. Tamar was the Canaanite daughter-in-law of Judah. Tamar's Genesis 38 is one of the worst chapters in all of the Word of God. It teaches how the, we find a story of incest. We find a story of prostitution with her father-in-law. And two twin sons were born, Perez and Zerah. One of the worst chapters in the Bible. Why in the world, in the first three verses of the New Testament, the good news of Jesus Christ, is this woman mentioned, this person mentioned in the Bible who is a sinner, who is a, a, a person of prostitute. The key word is this. She was a woman. She was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. She was a sinner. The sinner who Jesus came to die for. So the Holy Spirit put this person, Tamar, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ the Bible also says in verse number 5 that Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed by Jesse. The second lady that's mentioned here, another Gentile, is Rahab. Rahab was also guilty of sin. She was also guilty of prostitution. Unlike Tamar, this was her profession. She hid the spies when they went to Jericho, when Joshua sent two of them to go spy out the land. But she turned from her sin and trusted in the Lord to save, by faith, to save her. Uh, Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Tamar was a sinner. Rahab was a sinner who was, by faith, came a follower of the Lord. She was the wife of Salmon. Uh, and the mother of godly Boaz, which 
later became David's great, great, excuse me, great grandfather. So there's Rahab. Let me show you another lady that is mentioned here in the, in the, um, in the genealogy. Verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz, Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. We love the story of Ruth. In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament, four chapters, beautiful chapters of the story of Ruth. Ruth, Ruth was, a, was the wife of Boaz. Ruth was a Gentile. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth's lineage developed, created from the incestuous relations of Lot with his two unmarried daughters to keep the line of the family going. His daughters got their father drunk, caused him to unknowingly have sexual relations with him. That produced a son named Moab, the father of a people who became one of Israel's uh, uh, most, most implacable enemies. Ruth was a Moabite. Although she was a lovely person, although she was, you won't find anything wrong with her, there was an issue, there was a law, Deuteronomy 23 verse 3, there was a law which shut her out because it said that a Moabite or an Ammonite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. And yet in the genealogy of Jesus, you have someone that by Old Testament law was to be ruled out and not to have anything to do with the Jewish nation. If this isn't grace, I don't know what is. There was a young man named Boaz, love at first sight. I love the story of Boaz and Ruth, love at first sight. It's kind of like Elizabeth and I. When I went to Blue Mountain College, that's the first person I saw. It was love at first sight. I began to pray. A year and a half later, my prayers were answered. God, God revealed to her who the man of her dreams was going to be. But I knew at the beginning, as the first person I saw, when I met her at Blue Mountain College, love at first sight. How many of you love at first sight? Guys, okay, you, you had your chance. Move on. <clears throat> But Boaz embraced Ruth, extended grace to her by putting his mantle around her and bringing her a Gentile into the congregation of Israel. If Tamar is a picture of sin, Rahab is a picture of faith, then Ruth is a picture of grace. Ruth was a sinner just like Rahab and Tamar. Ruth needed faith, but Ruth also needed grace. And Boaz extended grace that grace and Boaz is in that royal line so is Ruth Ruth began uh, Ruth became the grandmother of King David then there's another individual that is mentioned although her name is not mentioned it is implied in verse 6 Jesse begot David the king David the king begot Solomon those two names are familiar and by her who had been the wife of Uriah the wife of Uriah was Bathsheba. David had Uriah killed because David wanted Bathsheba as his wife. David and Bathsheba had an adulterous affair. Uriah's life was lost. Bathsheba and David's son, first son, died in infancy. But the next son born to them was a man named Solomon. A successor to David's throne and to the continuer of the messianic line. Messianic line. Four ladies that are mentioned. But let me mention two other guys, and we're wrapping this up. Let's go back to verse 1. David and Abraham. David's a man after God's own heart, but David sinned just like you have and just like I have. 
David had that adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Yet through that in the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ is the Messiah through the lineage of David. Abraham, though a man of great faith, twice he lied about his wife Sarah. He lied out of fear to two pagan kings and said that Sarah was his sister for fear of her losing her life. Yet through Abraham and the grace of our Lord, we have Jesus Christ, the father of the Jewish nation, but also the king of the world. God made Abraham the father of his chosen people, Israel, from whom the Messiah would arise. And he made David father of the royal line from whom the Messiah would descend. Jesus was son of David by royal descent and son of Abraham by racial descent. But then there's one more individual I want you to see. Look all the way down to verse 16. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Mary's in this lineage as well, although it's Joseph's lineage. Mary's in this lineage to know that although she was ordinary, unknown, she was just as much sinner as anybody else. Mary needed a Savior. Mary was called the favored one in Luke 1 verse 28. One endured with grace is what that term means. She received a special measure of the Lord's grace by being chosen to be mother of Jesus. But she was never a source of grace. God's grace chose a sinful woman to have the unequaled privilege of giving birth to the Messiah. That old song, Mary, did you know? And Mary's holding the baby. She's looking at the face of God. Looking at the one who will one day die on the cross for her sins and for all the sins of the world. The genealogy teaches the verification that Jesus is royalty. He's the king of the world. The genealogy teaches the verification that Jesus Christ was virgin born. The genealogy teaches that Jesus Christ is the savior of all the world and anybody can be saved. Well, let me show you one more thing. Look back up in verse 1. And I skipped the first part on purpose. The Scripture says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Among all the genealogies that are mentioned in the Bible, Luke and Matthew are the two in the New Testament. You have some in Genesis. You have some in 1 Chronicles. Some in Ezra. All through the Old Testament, you have different genealogies. But only one time is the phrase, the book of the genealogy, or the book of the generations is maybe what your translation is. It's only listed one other time in Scripture. And you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Let me give you the specific verse. Genesis chapter number, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 starts off like this. The book of the generation, or the book of the genealogy of Adam. So in the Bible, one in the Old Testament and one in the New, do you have the phrase, the book of the genealogy of Adam and the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ? What does the book of the genealogy of Adam teach? It teaches that all men die. You read that generation, that person died, that person died, that person died, that person died. Because you are of the lineage and the, the genealogy of Adam, it teaches that you're going to die. 
All of us can be traced all the way back to Adam and to Eve. Even after the flood, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives can all be traced back to Adam. And it teaches that all of us are going to die. It teaches that our name is written in a, in, a, in a book of life when we come into this world that all of us are going to die because we're from Adam. We're from the book of the genealogy of Adam that all will die. In fact, the New Testament says, in Adam we all die. But aren't you grateful of a genealogy of Jesus Christ? Not only does it teach us that we die, it does not teach that. It teaches that through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, He is the King of all. He is virgin born. He's the Savior of all. And because our genealogy is from Adam, which means we all die, Jesus Christ died for the genealogy of Adam so that we can become part of Jesus Christ and have His part in us we become heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ we receive his Holy Spirit when we trust in him and our name is written in a lamb's book of life which is not a book of all those who have died but it's a book of all those who've been born again that's the genealogy of Jesus Christ so every one of you when you walked in today you walked in with your genealogy being traced all the way back to Adam my question this morning is, can your genealogy be traced back to Jesus Christ? Who is still the Savior and always will be. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because when you stand before the Lord on that day, He's going to look at that Lamb's book of life and it's the, all the generations of those who have been born again and those times when they gave their life to Christ Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, did this person give their life to Christ? When did this person give their life to Christ? When did this person respond and trust in Him? So my question today is not, are you from Adam? That's, that's already answered. My question today is, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Has He written your name in that Lamb's book of life? And that comes when you trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your head this morning all across this place.